What's up, Crave? It's good to see you. It's good to be back at South. Thanks for being here. Okay, all right. Thank y'all for being here. This is our last series of the year, which is crazy to think about. Uh, but we're going to take the next several weeks and we're going to cover, as you just heard, the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. We've done this really over the last year. We've tackled Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there tonight, Matthew 7 is where we're going to be tonight and the next several weeks. Uh, we'll just take it verse by verse and unpack it. As you heard in that opening video, we believe that if you want to know what Jesus was about, this is the place to start. So if that describes you, if you've not been in church a lot before, or even if you have, and you just say, I want to know what Jesus is about, the Sermon on the Mount, great place to dive in. And so as you're turning to Matthew 7 tonight, you can see we're going to be in verses 1 through 6. I want to just informally poll the room. If you have ever felt judged, would you just raise your hand? Look around. If you've ever felt judged, put your hand up. That's every hand in the room, or you were just too lazy to put your hand up because I know that you've been judged, and now I'm judging you, okay? We've, we've all felt that way. And it, it's not a great feeling to, to feel like people are looking down upon you. And this passage we're going to look at tonight, I think, speaks beautifully to this. And so I just want to read a little bit at a time and unpack it. So starting in Matthew 7 with verse 1, it says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Matthew 7, 1, it has been said, is the most popular verse in the Bible amongst non-believers. Because what you'll hear when you try to have a conversation with them is, hey, you can't judge me. The Bible says so. Somebody who doesn't know literally anything else the Bible says knows that the Bible says, don't judge me. You can't judge me. And they use it as some kind of shield to try to get you to back off. Because nobody likes feeling judged. In fact, this verse has gotten taken in, in so many different ways. There was a popular rap artist in the 90s. Anybody ever heard of Tupac? This is, this is pretty old. Okay, all right. That's way more hands than I thought. Tupac Shakur famously rapped. We'll put a picture up for you. Uh, back in the mid-90s, he, he wrote a song. He rapped and said, only God can judge me. I am not endorsing the song. Okay, I'm just telling you it exists. And this mentality has persisted for years and years and years. Only God can judge me, so who are you to try to speak truth into my life? Who are you to condemn me? Who are you to come at me? Only God can judge me. And, and we've all probably thought that at times. And if I asked you to, to think about how it makes you feel when someone judges you, it probably brings up a lot of different emotions, and you'll talk about that some in small group tonight. You'll have your chance to share. But I figured we'd give two people a chance to share how they felt when they were judged. I will be one of those people, and the other person will be Shrek. Yes, Shrek, the giant green ogre. You're familiar with them. They made a lot of movies. Most of them were not great, but the first one is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Shrek, if you're not familiar, is a big green ogre. He has a traveling companion named Donkey. And we're just going to peek in a little bit on their conversation. You're going to see how Shrek felt when he was judged. Check it out. That, that last statement like, this is silly. This is a children's movie. But there's something about that that resonates with some of us. They judge me before they know me, and that's why I'm better off alone. Maybe you felt that way. Everybody judges me because of the way I look, because of the way I act, because of where I'm from. 
And so I'm just better off by myself. I'll build walls, maybe not literally, but I'll build walls around my heart and my mind. I won't let anybody in. Maybe that's how you have reacted when you have felt judged. I'm kind of the opposite of Shrek. I don't really build those walls. When I feel judged, it just makes me angry because I feel insignificant. I feel less than, and it, I don't get defensive. I really want to attack. So if you're going to try to cut me down, I'm coming for you twice as hard. And maybe you can identify with that. But being judged is no fun for anybody. Several years ago, there was a survey that was taken of uh, teenagers and young adults outside the church, people who did not identify as Christians. And they asked them, when you think about people in the church, what comes to your mind? 87% of people surveyed said that Christians are judgmental. That's what they think of us. Non-believers say those church people, those believers, they're judgmental. It's one of the number one things that comes to their mind. And if that's what the world sees when they look at us, if that's what they think about when they think about Christ followers, that's a problem. And the reality is probably all of us have been a part of that problem. And this passage tonight I think is so helpful for us as we think about how we navigate some of those conversations. Before we dive too much further in, though, I do want to make it clear what we're talking about. Because it says don't judge, but we have to understand what that word means. Because actually, judging is good. If by judging you mean exercising discernment, utilizing wisdom. The difference in judging in that way, like using good judgment versus being judgmental, there's a big difference in those things. Jesus, in fact, said we should judge. We want to judge correctly. If you want to jot a couple of these verses down, I'll back this up. John 7, 24 says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Those are the words of Christ. In James 1, 5, we're told we should ask God for wisdom as we try to navigate through some of these different things that we have to judge. It's important. Wisdom and knowledge are different. You know that. Knowledge, a lot of people have. Wisdom is the skilled application and the rightful application of that knowledge. We ask God to help us with that. And in 1 John 4, 1, we're told, test the spirits. We should, we should test and try everything. We should not just accept hook, line, and sinker everything that anybody tells us, including me. We want to discern. We want to exercise judgment. We want to really pray about things and test things. That's good. But what Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount is stop being judgmental. Because when we are judgmental, we elevate ourselves above others. And that's pride, and that's arrogance, and if you really want to boil it down, that's hate. None of those things are compatible with the gospel. None of them. The Bible says over and over and over again that pride precedes a fall. So if you think you're all that and you're climbing up on your high horse looking down at everybody else... I would just tell you, brace yourself, because your fall is coming shortly. Let's keep reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. Jesus says this, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see enough, well enough, to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. 
Now, this is a verse we've probably heard. You can see a lot of different humorous illustrations as you see up on the screen. But this idea of trying to, to deal with something small in somebody else's life when you've got huge things going unchecked in your own. And this is the perception that the world has of us, that we're so caught up in trying to nitpick everything in everybody else's life that we never deal with our own stuff. Now, this does not mean that you have to be perfect to speak up when you see something out of line. If you wait your entire life to be perfect, you're going to wait your whole life. You'll never be perfect. But if you've got wildly unchecked, consistent, habitual sin in your life and you're not dealing with that, that's a problem. And before you try to go around and try to help somebody else with their own stuff, you really need to try to look within yourself. In the parallel of this passage over in Luke 6, Jesus actually continues and says that when we do this, when we've got this log in our eye and we try to help somebody with a speck in theirs, he says it's the blind leading the blind. And you know what happens? They both fall into the ditch. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not what the life of a Christ follower should be. We have to deal with our own sin, with our own hang-ups, our hurts, our struggles, our baggage, whatever you want to call it. But we prefer to fixate on others because that's just easier. And I think there's two things we do. The first is we'll fixate on somebody else's sin that doesn't look anything like ours, right? So if I've never felt tempted to get drunk, like alcohol has no pull on my life, but then I see somebody who is struggling with that, it's very easy for me to go, how could you? How dare you? What is wrong with you? Because I don't struggle with that. So it's easy for me to judge them. Does that make sense? Is that tracking? It's easy to hate someone else's sin when it's never been a problem for you. And that's being judgmental. That's what Jesus is advising us against. But we'll do the exact opposite as well. We'll see somebody who struggles with the same stuff we do, and it's easier for us to condemn them than to deal with it for ourselves. So you and I may have the same exact struggle, but rather than doing the hard work of looking within and going to God in prayer and confessing my sin to him and to others, I'm just going to beat you up for you struggling with it when I struggle with the exact same thing. And Jesus says in verse 5, hypocrite. That's a powerful word. This is the Lord of the universe. This is Jesus, the Savior, saying, when you do that, you're a hypocrite. Elsewhere, Jesus is talking with the religious people of his day, the churchgoers, and he tells them, you look like a whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but inside you're full of death and rot and decay. Hear me say this. It doesn't matter how good of an act you can put on. You can fool me. You can fool your friends, your family. You can even fool yourself. You will never fool Jesus. And one day you'll stand before him. We've got to start doing the hard work of dealing what's going on with inside of ourselves. And instead of fixating on somebody else, we deal with our own sin. Romans 2, Paul writes and talks about how we struggle with these same things. Check this out. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse when you say they are wicked and they should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. So since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same? 
We've got to stop trying to nitpick the sawdust in somebody else's eye when we've got a two-by-four in our own, especially when they came from the same sin. We're doing the same things. Now, how does this apply? How do we take this out of these doors and go live this? You should always ask that when you're at church, whether it's me or Pastor Perry or Robsy. Like, what do I do with this? And we could get this really mixed up and think, all the non-believers in my life, I need to, I need to go and, and just tell them about their sin. No. No. This is something, first, we deal with ourselves. But really, I think this is something that, that Jesus wants us to deal with as a faith family. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 is, is tough. This is one of those verses it's hard to try to explain. But we're going to do our best because we're going verse by verse. Jesus says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Maybe your translation says, on dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Man, that's, that's rough. What is Jesus saying here? Dogs in the ancient Near East were not like your sweet, fluffy little puppy dog who sleeps at the foot of your bed every night. Dogs back then weren't pets. They were street scavengers who were rabid, and they would bite you as soon as do anything else. So it was understood, throwing something before that dog, that's a negative connotation. Same thing with a pig. A pig was an unclean animal that any self-respecting Jew would have nothing to do with. So Jesus is saying, don't waste your time over here doing that. Instead, we need to focus inside here. Now, is Jesus saying, give up on non-believers? No, I don't think that he is, especially when you look at the rest of what he said and did. But I do think he's telling us we need to deal with sin inside here first before we try to go out and hold a sign and condemn and scream and get upset and cause a scene. We start with our own sin, and then we start with our communal sin as believers. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. This is an interesting verse. Paul, writing to the church that he founded, says, It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. But see, we're, we like to point at non-believers because it's easy to jump on them. That's not what we're called to do. We first deal with our own sin, and then we deal with sin amongst ourselves as believers. Think back to Cain and Abel, right? You've heard the story. Cain rises up and murders Abel. And then God shows up and says, where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, am I supposed to be accountable for my brother? The answer is yes. Yes. If I am living in unrepentant sin and a brother or sister in Christ sees that, they do carry the burden to come to me and say, brother, you got this going on, and I'm concerned. Now, that's hard, and it's scary, and we shrink back from that because we fear losing friendships and being judged ourselves. But that's the call as the family of God, to be a family. Think about all the awkward conversations you've had over the years amongst your family, maybe even this weekend. Think back just to this year where you spent an extraordinary amount of time together. We should be a family of faith who can have those hard conversations. And that's why we don't go out and shout in the streets to non-believers. You can only say something as heavy and as hard as your relationship can withstand. Think about it like a bridge. 
you build a bridge slowly over time that's, that's your relationship, just the time you invest, going and getting coffee, playing sports together, doing your homework together. And as you build that relationship, it can begin to take on heavier conversations. So you may talk about some of the kind of sticky topics of our day with your oldest, closest friends, right? Because you know them. Your relationship can withstand that. But you don't meet somebody and on day one just dive into the deep end. You don't have the relationship that can take that. That's why we need to build our relationships. That's why we think small groups are so important. That you open up, that you confess, that you share. And the goal and the hope is that that stays here. That we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other that there would be healing, James 5.16. And that there wouldn't be judgment. If this is not a place where we can come and be open and share our deepest struggles and sins, then we are failing as a church. Crave should be more than just good times and good music. This should be a place where we pursue relationship with Christ together. And again, we got to be careful to not go out and condemn the world. I'll phrase it to you like this. We'll put it on the screen. Don't expect non-believers to live like believers. You just can't. When you go and have that conversation and you're like, well, the Bible says, they're like, who cares? I don't even believe the Bible. First, we got to deal with our own sin and we got to stay within the faith family and deal with things. And then we build relationships and have conversations with those folks. Because the truth is, Christ is coming back and Christ is the righteous judge and he will deal with sin. Let's put Romans 14 up on the screen. Again, this is Paul writing. He says, Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. We confront sin lovingly. Ephesians 4.15 says we speak the truth in love. And if all you ever do is one side of that, you miss it. If it's all love, everything's permissible. But if it's all truth with no love, you become legalistic and hurtful and you wound people. This does not say don't have those tough conversations. What it says is don't condemn people. Just because somebody sins, just because somebody messes up, we don't kick them out. If we only allowed perfect people here at Brookwood, there'd be nobody here, not even to preach the sermons. Grace, forgiveness, love, redemption, that is what the heartbeat of our faith family should be. But unfortunately, we get caught up condemning and being judgmental, which is not what Christ modeled for us. We won't read any of this, but you can jot down the reference in John 8. Jesus is confronted with a woman who's been caught red-handed in sin. And what happens is these very religious, judgmental people want to murder her because according to the Old Testament, they could do that. They want to throw rocks at her until she dies. What a way to go. And they're pressing Jesus. They're pressing him. They say, let's do this. Shouldn't we do this? And Jesus says, yes, but let the first stone be thrown by the person who has no sin. Let the person who is righteous be the one to pick up and throw the first stone. And yeah, then we'll, we'll get her after that. And nobody picks up a stone. Nobody 
throws a rock at this woman because all of them are confronted with the fact that they have sin in their own lives. Now, don't miss this, and I missed this for years in this story. Do you know the one person in that crowd who actually could have thrown a stone? It's Jesus. Jesus would have been perfectly justified by the law because he had no sin to throw that stone. But he didn't do that. Everybody left, and he says to the woman, does no one accuse you anymore? She says, no. He says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. He doesn't give her a free pass and say, cool, all right, keep doing what you were doing. Go and sin no more. It's a call to change. It's a call to transformed life. It's an invitation into something better. He does not condemn her. He doesn't approve of what she's doing. But lovingly, he confronts her with the truth. And that's something that we've got to get better at doing. We want to love people. Now, I try to give you guys resources around the things we talk about. I want to recommend a book to you. It's by one of my favorite authors. It's called Everybody Always by Bob Goff. The subtitle is Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. I just want to read you a quick quote from the book. It's from the first chapter entitled Creepy People. (laughs) Know any creepy people? Don't raise your hands. They could be sitting beside you. Bob Goff says this way, Find a way to love difficult people more and you'll be living the life Jesus talked about. Go find someone you've been avoiding and give away extravagant love to them. You'll learn more about God, your neighbor, your enemies, and your faith. Find someone you think is wrong, someone you disagree with, someone who isn't like you at all, and decide to love that person the way you want Jesus to love you. We need to love everybody always. If you're riding around on your high horse of being judgmental, tonight's the night to check that out and just be done with it. Repent from your sin. Deal with what's going on inside yourself and walk out these doors a transformed person. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing one more song. And this is a great time. If you want to sing, by all means sing. It's a great song. But this is a chance to reflect on what we've been talking about. The lyrics of the song we're going to sing in a minute talk about being set free. And it's possible that's, that's really just what you need tonight is to be set free. Remember, we need to stop looking so much at the small things in other people's lives and deal with the big stuff in our own. And you need to hear the good news of the gospel. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. We can be set free in him. So check your judgmental attitude, look within yourself, and just ask God to show you, what do I need to deal with? What do I need to confess to you? What do I need to possibly confess in small group tonight? How can I stop being judgmental and start being a person of love? Would you set me free? That's my prayer for myself, and that's my prayer for you as we go into this last song. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you love us despite our sin. You know every wrong decision we've ever made and ever will make, and yet you still choose to love us. Would you set us free from our condemnation and judgmental attitudes? Would you help us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? I pray... God, that you would set us free from our own sin. God, that we would look to the log in our own eyes tonight, that we would not let another day go by where we don't confront our sin, but that, Holy Spirit, you would convict us and set us free.
And I pray that you would help us to go and love our family, our friends, our neighbors, our enemies, our coworkers, our teammates. Help us to love the way you loved, to show the world who you really are. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.